This is Comic Picks by The Glick. Hey, and I'm your host, Jason Glick. Oh, how you doing, Jason Glick? I'm doing good, John. Yourself? Oh, not bad. What do you have for us tonight? Okay, well, as promised last time, I've... Basically, I, I want to talk about... Um, this is, like, brought on by some of the stuff I picked up at um, Comic-Con earlier this year, and, you know... It's basically about um, you know how like um, the uneasy relationship that you know comics have had with um, films over the years. I mean, yeah, like the uh, like co- superhero superhero movies are never never been bigger and all. But at the same time, though, you know, for years before, like the closest comics got to film were just you know publishing adaptations of like of like of the films that um, that came out in, like in, in theaters, you know. And um, more often than not, like you know, these adaptations were just done by whoever like you know Marvel, DC, or or, or whoever had the license, you know, could just whoever was uh, had available in the office at the time. I mean, they were kind of crap, but they were just like you know published just you know to make like you know to make the available buck and just cash in on the kids who just wanted more of this like of this thing. What like, time I'm, frame are you talking about with the with respect to these? We're uh, we're basically talking like everything from like the seventies, eighties up up through the nineties because like uh, I yes. can't um, the whole like you know. Film, like a comic book adaptation of a film has kind of fallen out of favor after like after all these years because you no know, mainly because of years of the fact that you know the uh, comic book adaptation of a film is you know kind of crap. I mean that's that's been the kind of like, the reputation they've they've achieved over these years of you know just getting nobodies to adapt these things. But you know, even then, there were still a handful of them that were that were worth worthwhile. And um, you know you can tell by the fact that you know one of them. It's still being published today, and that that would be Alien: The Illustrated Story by Archie Goodwin and Walt and Walt Simonson. Now, it's probably telling that this wasn't published by Marvel or DC or an, or an American um, publisher, like when it came out way back in 1979. Yes, this film, this adaptation is as old as I am, and um, it was d- done by Europe's um, Metal Hurlant, or as we know it, Heavy Metal uh, magazine, and um, it's. And I wrote about this last year, and um, you know, it's like I've heard about this for years about how this is like kind of the gold standard for um, for like um, film to comics adaptations. And to be honest, like it actually holds up, it actually holds up pretty well. I mean, it's like it, it's not a um, it's, like, it's not like an overly long adaptation. I mean, it, it um, does it captures all the major all the major beats of the film from the um, crew of the Nostromo being woken up like on their on their trip back to Earth, you know they get the they get the signal from the from the alien craft. Um, it's like what um, one of them gets, um, you know, um, attacked by the facehuggers, and then the uh, alien alien ch- um, bursts out of the guy's chest during it's like during their it's like during during dinner, and then Ripley's like the last person to survive after the crew gets picked off one by one. And like, there's no major differences from the um, it's like from the film versus this adaptation. See, but Goodwin and Simonson do a really good job of capturing the overall tension. It's like of the, it's like, it's like of the uh, film, like of the film, and actually fleshing out certain bits. Just you know, from giving um, like um, Park Parker and and Brett, um, you know, just like giving them more personality. So like, hey, we want um, more shares for, for what's going on here. It's like, and also, it's like, it's like I'll just give like, the uh, the entire cast um, more. It's like it's like more char- character driven bits as well. It's like it's, like it's, I don't know. It's like it's not like you know, uh, like transcendent um, comics, but it's really, but it's really well executed for what it is. And um, like I said, if you're, 
if you're coming to it with me, someone who's um, you know familiar with you know how bad you know like most film adaptations of comics are, just appreciating the artistry that um, that Simonson and 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 letterer John Workman um, put into this. Um, put in this adaptation, it's really, it's really quite impressive. Just watching the um, the panel to panel progression for, for things as simple as watching the um, Nostromo's um, dot, um, like um, docking craft um, detach and go down to Earth, go down to the planet LE four two six. I mean that's that's kind of impressive. But then you get to bits like the double page spread where they, where the um, crew on the um, planet encounter the uh, alien craft, and it's like, wow, it's like this is like. Like, this, this is just really impressive just to, just to behold the sense of scale that um, he imbues with this particular scene with. I mean, really, more than anything else, this is, this is Simonson's show. I mean, he does a great job with all the, just, just getting like the uh, um, adapting um, you know, the desi- design of the film and, and um, Geiger's alien designs as well, but um, and also making it work within his, with his, with his own gritty, craggy style. It's like, it's so I mean, if you've never, if you, I mean, if anyone who has seen the film, I still recommend picking this up just because it's re- it's interesting to see you know the just how just um how how well um 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 Goodwin and Simmonson you know um captured its appeal on the page. I mean, there are certain um bits where um where, like where um there was like where where Goodwin maybe like he he does have um like you know caption panels where like, he feels the need to spell. Spell things out. Maybe the text is just just slightly florid at at times, but um, like when the alien bursts out of the guy's chest. I mean, we don't need another panel, you know, just telling about telling eruption, a scarlet shower of flesh of blood. We don't need that to just you know, you know, to let to um give us the impression of the feel of what's going on here. I mean, Simmons's art captures this perfectly. Okay, yeah, it's like overall, it's like I did enjoy the. Um, Alien, um, the illustrated story, and it kind of makes me wish that um, you know these guys had stuck around for um, you know Aliens, the illustrated story. But it would have been a, a much different kind of tension than um, an, ex- an experience of what we got, what what they had to adapt there. But you know, it kind of would be interesting to see how they were up to the challenge because you know Archie Goodwin and Walt Simonson, you know, A-list comics guys. Anyway, it's like you know, but since that, but you know, that's this is kind of like what um, comics. W- um, film adaptations were for comic strike, you know, decades up until the point where you know people stopped buying them and co- you know companies stopped publishing them. Now these days, though, the uh, trend seems to be more for um, going to a uh, script adaptations, uh, like of of, pop- of popular films. Just you know, just going directly to the like to the uh, script um, that was made for the film, and or or at least getting the uh, people who were um, involved with the film to um. Get, to come on board for the for the adaptation themselves. Um, see, one person who um, actually um, went went around this the other way is um, Darren Aronofsky, best known as the director of Pi, um, Requiem for a Dream, Black Swan, and The Wrestler. Um, he actually um, went around um, back when he was um, getting putting together his film version for the of The Fountain. Um, he went when after it fell apart. For the first time, he um, went and did a graphic novel adaptation with Kent Williams, and um, that reunited his desire to get the film done um, about a year about a year later. This time, though, um, for his um, his adaptation of the story of Noah, yes, that is Noah of of the Ark fame. Um, he um, he teamed up with his um, regular screenwriter Ari Handel, 
and um, artist Nico Henrichon to uh, to do an, basically to do a story of the film that he wanted wanted to make. It was originally published as four um, albums in in Europe beforehand, and it has since been collected for collected and republished here by Image. Uh, this basically kind of served as his, you know, this is the film he wanted to make. At least that's the impression I get. Um, and um, compared to the final product um, of the films that I'm going to be talking about here, this is probably the one where I feel that the um, adaptation or the, the inspiration supersedes the, uh, the final product. Because I actually sat down and watched um, Noah um, about a week before, um, the, I re- about a couple of days before I recorded this podcast. And, you know, I... Th- I thought it was all right. I mean, I thought Russell Crowe did an interesting job um, capturing the uh, capturing the guy, the spirit of a guy who was um, you know like, called upon by God to uh, to save all all the animals, like all the animals, and possibly um, wipe out humanity, and how and finding a way to deal with that. But also, you know, he's also a family man, and also he had to deal with you know how to how do you break the news to your family that this that you know we are going to be the last humans it's like on Earth. It's like, and that that God basically wants wants only the animals to survive and all. So that's, I mean, that was that's that's some interesting stuff to consider there, and there was some some bits of filmmaking there, especially with um, like you know, the know stop motion bits where or the, the time lapse bits where we see the uh, uh, where we see the um, the forest that um, that Noah is able to grow after he after he buries the seed that was given to him by his grandfather Methuselah, and. It, Goes into this great big forest, and then like the water is spread out across the land. It's really cool seeing that. As is the, um, it's like the um, this is um the like no um telling the telling the story of, of um like the genesis of man to his it's like to his family. Like there's some really um, impressive bits of filmmaking there, but there's also a sense of you know that you know Hollywood has um got got its hands upon you know like saying we have to you have to do it this way. Because otherwise, there's no other way. Because otherwise, it's just gonna be silly. You know, things like um, like Noah, um, like Noah's dad being killed by the main, the, the by the film's main villain, Tubal Cain, who you know he's a he's a descendant of yes that particular Cain, and um, it's kind of like you're thinking like okay, yeah, I get what you're doing right there, but but that's kind of like um, but it just feels kind of like you know more conventional than anything else. Um, the graphic novel. Um, that that um, Aronofsky, um, uh, Herndell, and Henrichon did. This, you know, it's like, it's actually it actually feels like a much a much more a more fleshed out you know budgetless version of the film that he wanted to make. I mean, it's like seeing the um, bits where where Noah is introduced as kind of where Noah goes to plead um, his like case for this for uh, mankind to change his ways to two volcanes like you know giant. It's like giant um, city that's reaching up to touch, reaching up to challenge the skies, and uh, see, and the uh, and just the overall scale of the uh, scale of thing. It just feels kind of like you know this is the this is what he could do without making any compromises, and um and it does feel uh, more fleshed out um compared to the um it's like it's compared to the gra- compared to the film we got, and um you know, there's also I me mean, like um the character of Tubal Cain um. He's like he's not the guy who killed Noah Noah's dad. He's just a he's just kind of a bastard. But he's also you know someone who's who's driven to um you know to help his to um um ensure that his people survive at any at any cost. And also um there interesting also interesting little bits like throughout the course of the 
the book, such as um, like Noah um, knowing the um, language of the like of the Watchers, the um, angels that um, descended to Earth in order to help like um, Adam and Eve um, after they were cast out of Eden, and um, how they were eventually like you know hunted and hunted and killed by the ar- armies of man, and um, it's like that, like th- things like things like that, things like the moment where um, like in the film where. Um, where uh, Noah's, one of Noah's sons, um, Ham, finds one of the um, girls in Tubal Cain's camp and wants to take her for her wife. In the film, um, like she winds up getting caught in a trap, and then he, like Noah just you know saves his son and leaves the girl to die. And but in the in the graphic novel, um, when uh, um, Ham shows up the, at the uh, ark when things when the flood's about to happen, like Noah says, "No, it's like you either you either die with her or you um, leave her." It's like it's like. Or you, it's like, or you come with us, and um, and so Ham chooses to come with them. And I, I feel that his the fact that you know he, that um, Noah foists the choice upon upon his son instead of having his making the choice for him makes for a more interesting bit of drama, especially when Tubal Cain um, winds up on the uh, on the ark and he has to um, try and and um, he winds up and Ham is kind of torn between whether like he, do, do I want to help this man. Like you know, kill kill my father, who um I really hate for what he's done, but you know at the same time he's my father, and do I want to save him? So, and also there are bits, and also things at the end when um Noah, I um has to rely on the uh, on the animals in order to um enact to enact God's will. I mean stuff like that would have been just you know insane to see on it's like in the film. So, but um overall it's like you know I it's like I generally enjoyed the. Uh, like I said, I really enjoyed the the graphic the graphic novel. And I feel that if you had to choose between, I guess, well, what I did was I, I spent like five bucks on printing the HD version for Amazon. Meanwhile, um, I found the uh, thirty dollar um, hardcover from from Image for half off at Comic Con. But at the same time, though, it's like you know, I, I know, I'd probably say that the uh, graphic novel is it's like is worth full cover price, especially Hemmerschan's art, which is gorgeous. I mean. The same amount of detail that he invested in this in every scene, and I love the uh, tribal designs and accoutrements that he gives to a lot of the cast. I mean, it's like if you are an art person, then um, this book is well worth having in it's like in your library because it, it it is truly gorgeous. It makes me wish that you know we saw more of Henrichson than we it's like than we than we have over the over the years. But oh, hey, like I said, Noah. Like graphic novel versus the film. In this case, graphic novel wins. Then you've also got um, something else I picked up at Comic Con for half price, um, for slightly less, and that would be the um, adaptation of Django Unchained. Um, now, it's like John, you there? See. Si. Okay. Now you like um, Django Unchained a whole lot, right? I did. Yeah, and uh, I did too. It's like, in fact, I think it's probably like you know one of the easily one of um, Tarantino's better films. But um, one of the things you hear about is that he, um, like, he was working down the wire to get this film, you know, up to to a certain length before it came out um, back in twenty twenty twelve, and um, just and but and and with this though, the uh, graphic novel that we got here, it's basically an adaptation of his first draft of that, like, of the film. Hmm. Yeah. So it's so I mean like the the. The overall story is basically basically the same. I mean, Django, the Django is a former slave who was freed by um, Doc, Doc King Schultz. To, um, first, 
like, to help him t- take down the Brittle Brothers. Then he works as a bounty hunter, and um, then um, works with um, King Schultz to um, get back get back his hu- his wife Brunhilde from the uh, from the evil um, Calvin Candy of Slave Plantation Order of Ca- Candyland. Now, I mean, that's all that stuff. That's that's in that's that's exactly what you'll see right here in the like in the graphic novel. Um, what's different though is that there's a whole lot of um, extra stuff in here. Um, basically, um, from an extended flashback scene showing you, um, let's see, showing you just how um, Broomhilda, what happened to Broomhilda after she was separated from, see, from like, see, um, from Django, how she, um, her life at the, um, with the uh, owners who um, had her before she, she, um, she was won by by Candy in a card game, and also, um, you know, extended bits of um, Django um, being um, training with um, Doc, Doc King Schultz. See, and um, so again, other other interesting um, um, flesh, um, character bits. Well, such as one point where um, let's see, where um, like Django um, like show, shows um, let's see what, uh, let's see, or he shows um, St- Stephen the uh, the how the uh, house Negro um, portrayed by, by Samuel L. Jackson in the film where he shows him, yeah, this is the, like, I am, it's like, I am the boss of you while I'm in the house right now. And that, stuff like that, that's kind of interesting. And also, what, what I'm kind of, what I was kind of surprised by at one point is that um, the uh, big climactic point where um, after Candy figures out that he's being hustled by King Schultz and Django, um, you, you'll remember in the film if you've seen the film, you know that um, Candy brings out this um, skull to basically, like, you know, go on about, you know, just you know, uh, uh, phrenology and, er- and everything. And that, uh, and that's not in the, uh, that's not in the uh, book, in the graphic, in the original script. Apparently, that was something that he uh, apparently he decided to elaborate on for the uh, final, for the final draft. Which, you know, kind of interesting to note right there. I mean, overall, if you if you've um, seen the movie. It's like I said. It's in, there's some worth here just just seeing the um, like Tarantino script represented on the page, and also just observing you know what was cut and you know what wasn't cut. I would have loved to have seen to have read more from Tarantino about that 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 kind of decision. Even though he just he just offers a standard issue, um, you know, like forward talking about how cool it is. You know, he's getting the script added, adapted by um, one of the film's producers, Reginald Hudlin. Um, however. Um, what also um, what I did like about the ser- about, about the uh, series was also was the art, which was provided by a good portion of it was provided by um, R. M. Guerra, who worked with Jason Aaron on Scalped, and um, dude knows westerns and um, and how to uh, exaggerate for good dramatic effect really well. It's like he handles like a good portion of the art with um, with Jason Latour pitching in for the flashback section sections and doing um nice nice work there then you've also got um like let's see uh dennis cohen and a uh, vertigo mainstay daniel zells um pitching in for later for um let's see for subsequent I- issues um they do they do solid jobs but overall it's like i felt that um guerra um uh, really did a good job of capturing the uh capturing the larger than life um like depiction of these it's like it's like of these characters and the, uh, it's like and the overall and the overall scenario. I mean, I mean overall, it's like you know, if you've seen the film, it's like you don't need to buy the uh, gra- the graphic novel. It's kind of like an interesting, um, 
uh, what's what, what's your? It compliments the uh, it compliments the uh, the film in a fun way. It's kind of like a, a really cool DVD extra they couldn't have been able to fit on the D, on the DVD for what for what it's worth. And um, over, it's like like I said, I it's like I like I said, I I enjoyed it. It's like and um, it's not an essential read by any means, but it's still. But it's so good fun, and it does make me want to go back and watch watch the movie again at some point. Because it's because like all the best bits you you heard from the film, like like I like the way you die, boy. It's like yeah, that's like that's uh, they're there in, in, as well. But at the same time, you know, as much as I like the uh, the art in here, the, it doesn't have like quite the same um, the the nimble um, precision that you that you get with. Um, with how it's portrayed and like how how verbal jousting and you know Quint and Tarantino's you know um, overall verbosity is portrayed on it's like it's like on screen so so there's that I think he just does well with dialogue and actors and uh, having them execute it so it you know he really does think about all you know he really does consider a lot of that according to a lot of the uh, you know uh, like interviews I've seen him talking about you know so he actually on his films has directorial like he has like the final say whereas a lot of I believe editors um, do not uh, allow the directors which sounds funny to uh, edit their films he uh, well it's interesting I would like to I would actually like wonder about that because um as, as I said, I'd heard that before he, before the film came out, he was basically working it. To, he had basically had a um, a certain mark to hit in terms of like you know it can be this long um, when we're going to put it in the theaters. I don't know if that was something that was you know like uh, if it was something that was like um, part part of like you know something with the theater owners or if it was um you know his longtime executive producer Harvey Weinstein basically saying yeah Quentin I love you and all but no film has to be this long. Or else we're not, or else we're not gonna put not gonna release it. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's like I mean, dude loves to hear him talk, and also, um, yeah, I guess it's also something that's worth worth mentioning here is that if you've seen the film, you know, and you've seen um, Tarantino's other films, you know he's uh, uh, more than any other white guy in the world right now. Dude loves love to say loves to say the n word, and um, that's that's more than apparent here. And you know, at the same time, though, I. You know, it's like as I, you know, I, I realize like you know that's kind of like a um just because you can doesn't mean you should type of argument. Um, with the the setting, um, the setting and um theme of Django Unchained, it actually makes a certain amount of sense just to show you just how um African Americans were regarded as you know like subhuman characters. I mean, yes, it's an ugly, it's an ugly for it's an ugly term, and they um and it's. It's painful to see, but at the same time, I look at all, even as like you looking at something like the over the top violence in the uh, in the uh, graphic novel and in the film. It's like you kind of real like it's hard to stomach at times. You wonder, it's like you know, if he's just you know making some of this stuff up to just get his rocks off. But no, party thinks that you know he's it's probably even worse. Um, it's like in it's like back in the actual world, like how 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 they were like how. Like how African Americans were treated back back then. So, in fact, like you know, I remember seeing the film thing. It makes an interesting companion piece with Lincoln to show you, you know, this is how things were. This is how things, you know, how we had to go. This is how things were, and this is why things needed to be changed. So there you go. 
But um, I guess this um, podcast wouldn't be complete without me saying a few more words about how utterly terrible the adaptation of um, George Lucas's The Star Wars was. So I wrote about this a couple months back, and um, basically, um, like, um, before they lost the license, um, um, Dark Horse announced that they were going to be doing a uh, adaptation of George Lucas's um, original first draft of like of, of Star Wars that was back when it was called the Star Wars, and you had you know things like you know like you know Anakin Anakin Star Star Killer, like um it's like um General Kenobi, it's like it's like all these really weird interpretations of of characters who were um like who were not like like who we who would go on to be play on much um different roles in the uh, it's like in in the film and trilogy itself. In fact, the um really the, the most interesting part about it is just seeing all the uh, stuff that was you know that made it into the film, and then um not just well not just the film, but also like you know, subsequent movies, as, subsequent films as well. Because um a bit about um you know like uh one of the like um C three PO being um a uh, it's like versus a god by the Ewoks. Well, that was um that yeah I had its genesis here. But at the same time, though, um, the dialogue is as abysmal as you'd expect from Lucas, and without, um, without the, the charisma of actors like um, Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, and Ewan McGregor to try and um, add some, um, like trying to redeem it in some way, and um, the art from Mike Mayhew. I mean, Mayhew is a fantastic artist when you give him the time to work. Um, the um, the uh, ser- original eight issue serialization was um, was was plagued by some delays because the uh, dude needs time to work. But in the end, you could tell there are parts where he was clearly being rushed. We said, "Okay, yeah, I got the, you. Got to get this art out right now, right now." And um, overall, though, it's like it's it's really kind of terrible. And I I basically um let's see, I went and bought the uh, forty dollar uh, hardcover which contains issue zero. Because I figured, okay, this would make a nice um, collector's edition. Considering there's no way this is going to be reprinted um, once um, Dark Horse loses the license to Marvel. Uh, even thinking that, I still feel I got I got taken because it's yeah, it is that bad. It's probably um, it's probably in the running for one of the worst things I've read this year because and and I can't really blame um, author J W Rinsler for this because I mean he was probably just you know just taking. Like swaths of Lucas's text and just putting them in the uh, in comics form, but at the same time, though, I mean, just as Tarantino is a much better writer than uh, um, than Lucas in terms of dialogue, at least, um, it's like um, Hudlin um, didn't didn't really have to do a whole lot of work there, but um, Rinsler, it's like yo, he's the also the guy who does, who's given us the great um, making of Star Wars films. I've only read the. Uh, Making the Empire Strikes Back, but god damn, that was a really fascinating read. That actually makes me want to go back and pick up the other two um, volumes that he's done, which were for, you know, of course, Star Wars and Return of the Jedi. But um, this, you know, he apparently, I'm assuming that he just did not um, touch anything at all for Lucas's script because, like, the dialogue is, yeah, just that bad. Yeah. So, John, um, it's like any thoughts you you want to add on this here? Oh no! Although if they just adapted that script straight from what Lucas wrote, I can imagine it would be bad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's not even it's not even outside of the realm of it, considering he produced some really awful 
prequel trilogy movies. I'm sorry, I don't. There's nothing. There's barely anything redeemable in those plot lines. And if he was responsible for those, I can pretty much imagine what a first draft or a you know a uh, you know a, a first cut of like the first the Star Wars movie would have been like. So I mean, it's not even far. It's not even the stretch of the imagination to consider that it would be bad. Although it's too bad that it's. Bad. <laughs> You know, because it it sounded like it would have had some promise. Yeah, I mean, like I like the uh, the idea that um that was behind this. You know, just showing us you know what the uh you know the genesis of this you know uh, like of this huge franchise. But at the same time, though, it kind of shows you just just how important you know just like an editor in time, like and just you know a second opinion can can be. Yeah, I mean, we could take Star Wars the first movie and kind of like. We could you could sum it up in a couple of paragraphs, I'm sure. I mean, it's not like it's overly deep. Um, no, and it's like it. It, it also makes you re- appreciate how um, how much um, Lawrence Castan brought to the uh, second and third movies well, yes. with being a co-writer there. Mm-hmm, exactly. You know, um, and that's and really, uh, you know. Um, I mean, for many, many years, I would have told people, yeah, the, the New Hope is like, that is the Star Wars movie. But then, you know, you look at The Empire Strikes Back, and, you just, and, and, and you're just thoroughly entertained by it on many levels. And you yeah. go, wow, this is, this is truly like the successor. This is, this is the best part of the trilogy. And, you know, even the, you know, even the Return of the Jedi is kind of a rehash of the first movie. It's hard to, it's, it may be hard to see, but they brought back a death star i mean it was just there's just so many other little elements about it which makes which makes pretty much the empire strikes back like stand on its own as as like i believe the the best out of those three with the first movie being like okay that's it but you know um george lucas is it's funny um i like some of the other stuff he's been involved in at least the earlier stuff you know um but there's not really a lot of stuff that I could say is like, wow, this guy makes hard-hitting dialogue and has amazing cast, you know, an amazing like set of characters he's built here. Indeed, I mean, like he's all he's he's also talked about just now how he doesn't he's not really doesn't like directing um actors. How he just kind of you know deal, like dealing with like the whole digital tech side of stuff, yeah, or anything th- else. I think his claim to fame is more on the uh, the special effects side of the house, yeah. and then and then just stringing that all together. It's like it's like you know being delta you know a full a full house you know it's just like you're you've got the perfect hand and and you know and I don't um, I don't you know, uh, knock, uh, you know, uh, the success. I know, I know there's a lot of hatred towards George Lucas. It's like, Hey, look, George Lucas did all this stuff. But, um, you know, if it wasn't for that first star Wars, the original blockbuster, in my opinion, you wouldn't have had all this stuff. And, and by God, you probably wouldn't even be reading that graphic novel, to be honest with you. That's true. <laughs> it's like, and it's also worth noting just, just how lucky he was to find that group of Group of actors who were able to um, really like deliver that stuff and like ultimately elevate it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Pretty know. with pretty with Ewan, Ewan McGregor. I mean, God knows. Like, I'm pretty sure we can we can talk shit about the tr- prequel trilogy all we want. Sure. But but I honestly think they probably would have been unwatchable without the without what he um brought brought to them, especially the especially with the second movie. Yes, I agree. Yeah, but but yeah, that's that's all I've got. That's all I've got for tonight about um, like film, um, screen to film, um, comic stu- type stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, next time, 
Um, well, hey, I just found out that one of the manga series I've been um, reading for for a couple of years now is, has finally reached its end. That would be The Flowers of Evil. And um, I was kind of surprised. Here's this, this is a title that I uh, was deeply conflicted about in terms of, like, you know, do I actually want to keep reading this after the first volume? But, you know, hey, I've stuck, stuck through it with it to the end. So time to talk about just, you know, how, was it was the, like, um, was it worth following up to that point? And um, actually, like, for my, the next couple of podcasts are kind of spoken for, because after that, um, the last couple of um, trade paperbacks from Dark Horse, Star Wars um, comics from Dark Horse, will have arrived, and um, so I'll be pouring a 40. It's like over, it's like over like, you know, Dark Horse um, publishing Star Wars comics, which is kind of, which kind of sad, in my, my opinion. And then also, you know, like I said, I'm, either after that, um, I'll have, my my copy of uh, Marvel's original Sin event will have arrived as well. So, so like I said, it's things. Um, I things could change, but you know that's how it's going to be for like for the next couple of weeks and all next next month over next month and a half really. All right, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Comic Picks by the Glick. All right, later's everyone. All right, bye.